good afternoon. It is afternoon. Uh, good to see you all. Happy 2019. Trust you all had a happy new year. How are we doing on the resolutions? Good? Yeah. Six days in. I, people ask me, you know, hey, do you do New Year's resolutions? And I always respond, no way. I don't like disappointing myself. <laughs> well, I make big promises to myself that I know I'm not going to keep because I know myself well enough to know that if I'm going to make a big change, it's going to happen in everyday life and routine. Um, you know, and so I, I don't want to. So, but, but those of you who do that, hey, wish you the best and, uh, and, and hope that all works out for you. Um, but it is 2019. We're kicking off the year here. Uh, with, a, with a sermon series on worship. Uh, and so today and the next four Sundays, we will be in a sermon series on worship um, in one specific book in the Bible, the book of Job. And, uh, and so I say Job, and for many of us, that's the last thing you think of is worship, right? We know that primarily Job is a story about suffering, right? And so that's typically what we associate Job with, suffering, hardship, Lost, but I would say, and I think we'll see together through the series, that the essence of Job really is about worship. That first and foremost, Job was a worshiper, and the story of what happened to him really just reveals the heart of true worship. And so we're going to start together in uh, chapter 1. Now, just to give you some help on the book of Job, um, the first two or three chapters of Job introduce us to him, the main character Job, to uh, what is going on in his life, all that he has, his wealth, possessions, and then also his great loss all happens right at the beginning. Then after that, the main bulk of what you read in the book of Job are really these debates that he has with his friends. It goes through three rounds of debates with his friends. And so that's the majority of like chapters uh, four through 27. Um, but then something happens after uh, the third round of debate that I think is interesting. And I think we'll see the the importance of this through the series, there enters another character. Uh, this character's name is Eluhu, um, and his, the name, his name means he is God or Yahweh is God. Now, this character, I don't believe, is God, but what changes in the story with his entrance is that the focus begins to uh, shift away from the debate and even away from the suffering to point Job back towards God, and then in chapters 38 through 42, this is where Yahweh speaks and ultimately calls Job back into worship. And so we're going to start in chapter 1 today, verse 1. Let's do this together. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that his, this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons, verse 4, used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus 
Job did continually. So we're introduced to Job here in these first few verses of chapter one. Job is a man of great wealth. He has um, a a, a large amount of livestock, which meant he had a a large possession of land. Uh, He had a lot of money, he had a lot of possessions. He was a blessed man. He had a big family, uh, 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. They got together regularly. Uh, Job was a man who feared the Lord. Uh, He seems to be religious. He seems to be faithful to what he believes. And so Job was a man of a lot of blessing, right, which meant that he had a lot to lose. Now, there's a key phrase here, though, in the description of who Job was that I think really sets the course of what the whole book is about. And it's that simple phrase that Job was one who feared God and turned away from evil. He feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I think it's necessary in our, especially our day and time, to talk about and to explain the fear of the Lord because we really, for two reasons. One, I think we have a skewed idea of fear. For the most part in our culture, we associate fear with evil, right? Fear is a bad thing. Fear is never a good thing. So to talk about the fear of the Lord kind of feels odd to some of us. Combine that with the the modern day view of God uh, that paints this portrait of God as this cosmic Santa Claus or this this, this holy teddy bear who's soft and cuddly and, and never speaks harshly and never calls people into account. And we have this skewed idea of who God is. And so we're not quite sure what it means to fear the Lord. Well, this word fear, um, it's not just associated with evil. It's the idea of being struck with awe. Okay, so it's a sense of of reverence, but it's also a sense of wonder. So I'm not just fearful because I'm scared of you. I'm fearful because I see how grand you are, how big you are, how awesome you are, how amazing you are. And compared to who you are, I see who I am not. And so my heart trembles at that. I'm filled with awe. And so that's the idea here. Job was a man who walked with awe in the Lord. Or you might say he was a man who lived his life in worship. Reverence, respect, awe, and wonder of who God was. Therefore, what did that lead to? It led to turning away from evil, right? He was a man who feared the Lord and turned from evil. It's so important that we not as Christians separate the concept of worship from everyday life. I know we don't mean to, but don't we do that on some level when we call what we do on Sunday morning worship? Now, I hope worship is happening when we're together, right? But if we're not careful, we'll make worship this hour and 15 minute slot on Sunday, it's what we get dressed up for and what we drive to and we we walk into this box and we sing together and we learn together and that's worship. Then we leave worship and go back to everyday life and fail to realize that worship transcends into everything else in your life. Worship infiltrates every aspect, every facet of who you are and what you do. And we can't separate worship from anything else in life. Just a couple of simple examples. Take friendship, for example. Um, do any of you struggle um, to, to enjoy being around people who always talk about themselves? Or is that just me? 
Okay, so we got some honest people. Yeah, raising their hand. Yeah. So it's hard to be good friends with people who always want to talk about themselves, right? Their stuff or what they're doing and everything going on in their lives. And why? Because we don't want to be around people who worship themselves, right? Now, the flip side of that is my unwillingness to be friends with somebody who gets on my nerves reveals an aspect of self-worship too, doesn't it? My unwillingness to be uncomfortable to lay down my needs for the sake of others. So really, the fact that many of us aren't friends is self-worship. See, worship on a practical level, it infiltrates everything, doesn't it? My marriage, when I walk away from what, what I like to refer to as the robust dialogue between myself and my wife, a.k.a. the argument. You know, I never walk away from one of those arguments feeling clean. I always feel a sense of just dirtiness. Something feels messy about it. Even if I've convinced myself I was right, I still walk away feeling just a little icky about it. Why? Because at the core of my argument with my wife was my need to be right. Self-worship. I want her to see things my way. I want her to do things my way. Self-worship. You see how worship affects everything? I mean, it's, it's the reason why when you go to work, you either work hard or don't. Whether you are honest at work or not, whether you work with integrity or not, all of life is impacted by worship. I think the Ten Commandments is a great example of this. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Ten Commandments are more than just a list of ten rules. To begin with, it's framed in a very specific way. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. Then the back six have to do with how we treat one another. So to get to don't steal stuff and don't commit adultery and don't covet your neighbor's possessions and don't bear false witness, you've got to first walk through the first four that have to do with worship. Matter of fact, the first commandment, by no mistake, is this. This is Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. So... The very first commandment, before we get to any other commandments, especially about the way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another, is first what? I must worship God and have no other objects of worship before him. Now, here's the reality. Listen to this. If I don't get that one right, I won't get any of the rest of them right. If I make anything else other than God my object of worship, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to break all the rest of the commandments. Right, because why? Because that one commandment to worship God and him alone infiltrates everything else in my life and it impacts everything else in my life. And it's interesting if you read the end of the 10 commandments, the people are a little freaked out by what just happened on the mountain, okay? And so in verse 18 of Exodus 20, we read this, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. That's being filled with awe. And they stood far off, and they said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. Talk about awe and wonder. Moses, I don't know what just happened up on the mountain. We saw the smoke. We felt the tremble. We saw the lightning. We're okay with you talking to us, but don't you dare let God talk to us lest we we die. And then Moses responds, do not fear. And what he's saying is don't be afraid of the mountains. Don't be afraid of lightning. Do not fear 
for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. Now that's such an interesting thing because we just read that about Job's life. He feared God and turned away from evil, from sin. And now here at the end of the 10 commandments, right? Moses is talking about fearing God and how that will turn our hearts away from sin. Why? Because worship impacts everything in our lives. How many of you want to sin less in 2019? Just some some honesty in the room. It's okay. If you're new here, we try to do that often, okay? I want to sin less in 2019. I really do. But what I'm reading here is that I'm not going to sin less by simply trying to sin less. Have you tried that? How does that work out? If I want to sin less, what I'm reading is I need to worship more. And I don't mean necessarily more frequently or more consistently. What I mean is more deeply. I need a bigger view of God. If I'm going to live my life in awe and wonder of who God is, I've got to see him as bigger than I see him right now. I need more worship. I need bigger worship. I need to see God in his fullness Job was a man who feared the Lord because he saw God in his fullness, and that led to what? Turning away from evil, turning away from sin. Listen to Proverbs uh, 16, verse 6. By steadfast love and faithful, uh, excuse me, faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By what? The fear of the Lord. Worship, awe, wonder, reverence for who God is. That's what turns our hearts away from evil. Now, this is a beautiful portrait of what repentance really is. Sometimes we think repentance is is going before God and saying, I'm sorry for my sins. That's not repentance. Now, that could be a part of repentance, but that's not repentance. Repentance is a turning from something to something else, and that's what we're talking about here. As Job lived his life and turned his life to God in reverence, he turned away from what? Sin repentance. Listen to this. I'm going to give you a snapshot from Job chapter 40. Towards, towards chapter 40, Job's starting to get a little, uh, little edgy, and he's starting to get a little um, wordy with God, and he actually opens up his mouth and kind of complains a little bit and speaks to the Lord in an, in an ir, uh, irreverent way, and listen to what happens. This is Job 40 verse 1. God, God responds to Job. He says, And I I can just sense God with his his brows furrowed, like really. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. What a turn of repentance. Job had opened up his mouth once and God called him into account. And what did Job do? Whoa, I am a man of small account. I am little compared to you. As Job saw God and his, his, his mighty uh, sovereignty and his power and his grandeur, Job also saw how small he was, and he said, I am a man of small account. I mouthed off once, but I dare not mouth off again to the Almighty. I will proceed no further in this argument. And what a portrait of repentance. 
Well, what happens with um, Job, we'll read starting in verse 8, Satan uh, comes to the Lord and, and, and brings up, uh, or actually God brings up Job, and this is where we'll pick it up. So verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan's accusation against Job, as God said, hey, have you considered Job? Job fears me and he turns from evil. Satan's accusation was what? Of course he does. Look at all this stuff. Look at how you've blessed him. Who wouldn't? fear you and turn from evil. You've given him all this stuff, this big family, all these possessions. Of course he blesses you, God, but if you take away his stuff, he'll turn on you and he'll curse you to, his, to your face. And so with Satan's permission, or God's permission, Satan then begins to strip away all these things, his livestock, his family, in chapter two, even his health. And it gets so dark and so painful that his own wife says to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Just end this misery. And God allowed Satan to strip everything away. Now, we're gonna look at Job's response next, um, starting in verse 20. After everything had been stripped away, we're gonna look at Job and see if Satan's accusation was correct. Look at verse 20 with me. After these things had been stripped away, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now I want to point out something here. Um, All that Job lost caused him a deep level of pain. It wasn't like Job just lost all this stuff and went, eh, no big deal. God's good. I'm just going to roll with the punches. I'm going to keep worshiping God. Like he's stricken with grief, isn't he? I mean, that's the idea of tearing your robe and shaving your head. That's a, that's a movement into a time of grief and deep pain and agony. And, and so Job is falling down in pain at all that he had lost, but he did so tempered with trust, right? right? He, didn't, he didn't turn allow his heart to turn to bitterness or cursing God or blaming God. He was broken for all that he had lost, but he still worshiped. And so Satan's accusations were wrong, weren't they? Satan said, take away everything, God, and he'll curse you to your face. Everything was taken away. Job grieves, and yet he worships. Job acknowledged something really important here. 
when he said, naked I came into the world and naked I shall return, what he's saying is as a baby, I didn't bring anything into this world. And when I leave out, I'm not gonna take anything with me. Not a thread goes with me. So anything that happens to me in between, anything I possess, anything I have, it's a gift from God. Now, as Christians, we can get on board with that and go, yeah, that's right, God is good. He's given me all these blessings. But Job's saying, listen, no, no, no. He's, he's given, and guess what? He can take away too. Not just give, but he can take away too. I didn't bring anything into this life. I don't take anything with me. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then this key phrase, blessed be his name. Not blessed be his name as long as he gives. Blessed be his name either way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's worship was not based on what God did for him. So that leaves us with really one option. Job's worship was based on this and this alone, who God was. It wasn't contingent on what he had or didn't have, what God gave or what God didn't give. Job's worship was was based in, it was rooted in one thing, who God was. And we know that because when he sees God for who he is, he's struck with awe. And what does he do? He turns from evil. That's worship. Job's worship reflects the heart of what true worship is all about. I want you to listen to this next phrase because I believe this is the thesis statement of the book of Job. All the chapters combined is this one statement. God is worthy to be worshiped whether he does anything in my life or not. He's worthy separate from the blessings. He's worthy separate from whatever I'm going through Whatever he gives to me, whatever he takes away, he is worthy in and of himself. Whether I like what he's doing or not, doesn't matter. He's still worthy. He is worthy to be worshiped whether he does anything in my life or not, which is in some ways in contrast to the modern day church culture where God is worshiped only when the worshiper is moved by an engaging sermon or an emotional worship set. We need God to do something for us before we worship him. Rarely does anyone say, I'm not gonna worship God today unless he does something in my life, but indirectly we sit and we wait to be moved, don't we? We sit and we wait to be moved. And our worship hinges on whether or not we perceive God is doing something. This is withholding our worship from he who is worthy. And at the end of the day, it's really self-worship if you think about it. If I'm not willing to worship God unless he answers my prayer or does the thing I expect or want him to do, then essentially I'm worshiping my own expectations and my own desires. You see how that's self-worship? And we sit and we wait, don't we? I want to end with two questions for you to think about um, and for me to think about. Are you one who is waiting on God to do something before you will worship him? Are you? Are you waiting on him to answer that specific prayer or to provide that specific thing? Maybe it's something of necessity. Maybe it's a job. And you're holding out. You can't wait to get that thing so you can thank God and worship God. 
Maybe you're struggling with some kind of personal like ailment with depression or anxiety, and as soon as God heals that, you're ready to worship. But for the meantime, you're waiting. Are you waiting on God to do something before you will worship him? And then for, for everybody who said, no, that's not me, here's the next question. What happens when God takes it all away? Will you and I still worship? Will we tear our clothes, shave our head, figuratively speaking, and will we bow down and will we worship? And will we say, he gives and he takes away, but blessed be his name. True worship is rooted in seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are not, for being overwhelmed with awe and wonder of the grandeur of who God is, that we turn from evil and we worship him. Listen, the most powerful thing you can do, I don't wanna try to talk you out of your New Year's resolutions. Those of you who are still working on them, hey, more power to you, but here's the most powerful thing I think you could do this year. The most powerful thing you could do, the most life impacting thing that you can do this year to impact 2019 in a positive way is to start the year in repentance. Not just apologizing for sin. What I mean is a truly a heart turn to say to God, God, will you let me see you as bigger than I currently see you? That, that is my pastor's prayer for this church this year. I've sent that out to the staff. I've began praying it over you. That for however big you see God right now, that through the course of this year, through all that happens, all that comes, all that goes, through what you discover about him and his word, through your time in prayer, that God would expand your view of who he is. Listen, you don't see him as big enough yet. But you don't. However big your God is in your mind, it's not as big as he actually is. Right now, the Bible says you see him as though you're looking in a mirror dimly. And so my prayer is that God would unveil himself to us individually and as a church this year, that right, whether he gives or takes away or both, right, our worship would grow, not because we broke ground on a new building or the church grew by more numbers or we had more money and, and all those things are fine. We can be thankful for those things, but our worship would be rooted in who he is and that alone. That at the end of the day, if all was stripped away, we would say, you know what? The Lord gives and is his right. He takes away. Blessed be his name. It's my prayer for us this year. I want to just lead us in a time now of prayer and reflection and give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe God's spoken to you today. Um, we're going to have our worship team leading us in a song. We're going to sing a song and there's so many powerful lyrics in this next song. And some of my favorite are, um, this, he knows the hearts of men and yet he lets them live. And, and we're singing this song to the God who melts the mountains. I wanna, I'm gonna just ask you with me, let God expand your view of who he is when we sing this song together. Our worship team will be up. Our prayer partners will be down at the front of the room if there's something going on that you would like someone to pray with you about. But let's pray together and respond. Um, Father, we thank you for this very powerful um, timely reminder today, God, from the story of Job, 
not just a story of suffering, but really a story of your worthiness. God, thank you for reminding us, God, of who you are. And God, we turn from, we repent of a small view of you. Father, we turn from this cosmic Santa Claus view of who you are, the soft and cuddly teddy bear version of who you are. We wanna see you, God, but we wanna see you with awe and wonder. God, we want our hearts to tremble at being in your presence. Father, we wanna live lives of worship, awe and reverence, God, that we might turn away from evil. God, we ask that you would come. Work in our lives today. Speak to us. Reveal yourself to us, we pray in the name of Jesus.